0: Thank you for taking time to listen to our service. We're happy you've joined us today. Visit NBCOcala.com to find out more about who we are as a ministry or get information about upcoming events. There you can also discover all the convenient ways to partner with us financially. Thanks again for joining us. Enjoy the service. And if you could help me welcome our online audience. It's so good that you guys are watching online as well. Well, this has been a really fun series. You guys have been enjoying this series? And uh, if you've missed any part of this series, I would encourage you to uh, go online, watch some of the archives, because uh, there's just been some incredible, incredible nuggets uh, throughout this entire series that you're gonna want to to grab a hold of. And so Pastor Tim, of course, sends his greetings today. Uh, they had an opportunity to, to to get some rest this weekend and take some time off and spend some time with family. So how many of you guys know a rest is good? And uh, encourage you to to find seasons where you get to do that. And well this series all in the family we've been talking about our homes. And our homes truly are ground zero. And it's where where our families live. It's where our families grow, and um, God certainly wants to do something in the midst of our homes and in our families. And I do do want to encourage you to remember that this series just isn't all about families; that it's for everyone. And uh, we are called to encourage one another. And God wants to use us to help others. Amen? Amen. And so, if week one you remember, Pastor Tim shared that God has a desire for our families and our homes to be a place where it becomes this this place of shelter and a a landing place and an academy and a launching pad. And that he kind of unpacked this whole thing where homes are supposed to be a place where it's healthy, safe, vibrant, a God-honoring place, which in turn produces healthy, whole, vibrant, godly individuals. And then in week two, we discovered that the enemy is attacking our families. How many of you know the enemy is, is trying his best to attack our families? So that he can get to the individuals and what the family produces. And we know that the family passes on, of course, from generation to generation, whatever it is in the context of that family. And sometimes that can be positive, and sometimes that can be negative. Everybody shake your head and say, uh-huh, I know what you're talking about. And sometimes we know, and uh, in the midst of that, we all need Jesus, Right? I mean, we need God to be in the mix. And in week two, I love what Pastor Tim unpacked. He said, we need to demonstrate our love, evaluate our values, celebrate the family, and dedicate our homes. And I I pray that you begin to do that, that as you come and go from your house, you're saying peace to your home. And then last week, if you were here, he talked about conquering conflict. And uh, he unpacked eight keys last week. Uh, that, were just, that were just incredible. And one of, my, one of my big takeaways from last week is that good communication permits progress. When we have good communication, that that is really the ground for the foundation for God to move in our, in our families and in our homes. And we've also learned in the midst of the attack that there are times where we just need a reset. Sometimes we need a reset in our families. We need a reset in our lives. We need a reset with our spouses. We need to be able to be like, time out. Um, We need to kind of, let's talk this through. Let's have good communication. But sometimes we need a reset because families are fragile. Marriages are under attack. And sometimes our kids, believe it or not, guess what? Our kids are going to do things that we don't want them to do. (laughs) Did you guys know that? Any parents in the house? Okay, I just want to make sure we're on the same page. But the big question for us today is what do we do when we find ourselves in the midst of crisis? When we find ourselves in the midst of crisis, how do we handle that and what do we do? Because the reality is this how many of us prepare for crisis? I mean, we just don't do it, right? I mean, crisis happens and oftentimes we're not prepared for that. So, what do we do? When crisis hits home. I want to unpack what crisis is. The first definition of crisis is this. It's a dramatic emotional or circumstantial upheaval in a person's life. How many of you guys would be like, yes, I've experienced that. We've we've all experienced crisis to some level uh, in our lives. And uh, if you haven't, praise God. But most likely you will sometime in life. But crisis could also mean this. It could be a stage in a sequence of events at which the trend of all future events, especially for better or for worse, is determined. That it could actually be a turning point. That crisis, if we determine it to be, it could be a turning point either for good or for bad. And I've realized this, that in the midst of crisis, and we've experienced crisis. You know, I have two kids that are in their 20s now and, you know, growing up and just, you know, experiencing life. And then me being a kid, I mean, I put my parents through some crisis. um, But I've realized this, is that God sometimes shapes us more through seasons of crisis than through success. That God has this amazing ability, Right? To meet us in the midst of the mess and do amazing things even in that, in through that. And and I just also want to say this, that failure or crisis is never permanent unless you quit. And so we've been talking a lot about this, that our families, your family, your extended family, this church family, and even your small group family. And hopefully you have got connected into a small group, but whatever relationships that you're in, that is your family. And in those, in those family units that we have, how many of you know that they are worth fighting for? Our families are worth fighting for. Your kids are worth fighting for. Your spouse is worth fighting for. Your future spouse is worth fighting for. No matter what it is, in in season in our life, we have relationships, and we just believe that they're worth fighting for. And one of the verses that's kind of been at the foundation of this entire series is in Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 14. And he says, Then as I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember, just like we sang this morning, remember that the Lord who is great and glorious... Remember him. Remember those times that God was there for you. Remember how great our God is. And then fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. And this morning, I want to take a look at just a little bit before this. We've been kind of talking about how important it is to fight for our families. But Nehemiah, in the midst of crisis... He had a really creative shift. He did something that I think is so creative and so important for us to grab a hold of. Is he, he, Just a couple of verses before he tells us to fight for our families and fight for our brothers and sons and daughters. He says in verse 12 and 13, it says, The Jews who lived near the enemy came and told us again and again, They will come from all, dis- all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed places. And then I love this next part. He says, I stationed the people to stand guard by what? Their families, armed with swords, spears, and bows. Now, this verse could also be a great verse for any dads this morning that have daughters. (laughs) Any dads that have daughters? Yeah, a lot of them in the house. So this is a great verse to kind of put above uh, your daughter's uh, bedroom door that says the enemy, the boys, are going to attack from all different directions. But you will stand guard and you will place other guards with guns and bows and spears to protect from the enemy, right? Any dads say amen? Okay, we're not talking about that, but that's awful good verse for that. But I love Nehemiah because he, he, in the midst of all this crisis and this turmoil and the attack of the enemy in so many different directions against the rebuilding of the wall, he decides that it's important enough before they fight to station together the families on the wall. And you know this, and I know this, that when crisis hits, the enemy would love nothing more than to tear our families apart. I mean, that's the goal. The enemy is going to try to use crisis to tear us apart, but we can use it as a turning point to come together. And I believe that in the midst of crisis, if we could come together just like those families in the midst of the crisis that was happening, God will fight for us. Have any basketball fans in the house? There's some basketball fans, all right. A few of you guys. And uh, when I was growing up, I loved to play basketball, um, but I loved especially to play with my dad. My dad, uh, he was a huge basketball player, and so I just loved to try to beat my dad. And um, my dad never wanted to play five on five full court. My dad would only play three on three inside the three point line. Because my dad knew that anytime you would try to drive the ball into the goal, into the paint area, my dad was gonna follow you. He was gonna elbow you. He was gonna hip check you. Like he was gonna do whatever it took so that you did not score. And then when he had the ball, he would do whatever it took. To to score on you. And so I became a really good three-point shooter. I would just stay kind of on the outside and shoot threes and never go on the inside. I remember asking my dad one time, I said, dad, I know you're kind of a little bit older and I know you don't like to run up and down the court. I mean, he could, but I was like, why do you insist that we play three-on-three? And he said, son, it's because when you're close, I can beat you. And it's so true that when we come together, And we get close, we can win. We can defeat the enemy and the attack that he's going to come at us with. And so if I could just this morning, I want to encourage you to come together in the midst of crisis. I want to encourage you to find a way to partner together in the midst of that. And how many parents are in the house? Any parents in the house? Ooh, a lot of parents. Any grandparents in the house? Anybody that wants to be a parent? Okay, we got a couple over there. Thanks for being honest. How many of you guys are like, no way, I'm not doing it. I don't want kids. We probably have a couple of those too. Um, But if I could this morning, I want to spend some time hopefully encouraging you as a parent or whatever relationship context that you're in. Because I believe that in the midst of crisis, God wants to do something amazing in our lives. And as a former youth pastor of 20 years... And a dad, I've had the opportunity to walk with a lot of parents through crisis. And I've walked through some seasons of crisis in my own family. And these are things that I've kind of learned along the way, and I hope that they will just encourage you uh, this morning. And so here's the first thing. Don't be surprised. Look to your neighbor and say, don't be surprised. (laughs) Don't be surprised. Crisis happens. And so as parents and and in relationships, we need to realize that crisis does happen. And don't be surprised. Don't react. And especially don't overreact. Let's stop being surprised that people sin. Could we just do that as believers? Could we stop being surprised when people sin? Romans chapter 3, verse 23 says this. For my wife has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. No, no, no. Oh, wait. Sorry, sorry. Wrong version. Wrong version. Uh, For my kids have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Can I get an amen? No, no. It says what? For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people because all... Have sinned. You can rest assured that if your five-year-old, any, fi- any parents of five-year-olds, if your five-year-old is standing across the room, while he's looking back at you, he's peeing on the wall, okay? <laughs> he is a sinner and in need of a Savior. Like, there is no question. Like, we all <laughs> have sinned. And so parents, in the midst of that crisis, one thing that we can learn from Nehemiah is not to quit. We can't quit. We can't give up. We can't stop moving forward, putting one foot in front of the other. And I just want to declare over you that you will come through this season. You will come through this season. As parents, we've just got to keep swinging, not at our kids, but keep believing, keep walking, keep praying, keep praising We've just got to keep standing. We've got to keep moving forward because we can't quit. And if we don't give up, we will win. And the truth is this, that if you don't have anything left, and there, there are times where you feel like, I have nothing left. Like, I cannot do this anymore. It's in that moment when you have nothing left but God, that you have everything you need to get up. And start all over again. When we have God, he changes everything. 1 Peter 5.10, this verse has been a huge encouragement to me during seasons of crisis. It says, In the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, he will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Not stern, Firm. God will is in the business of restoring, amen? amen? And then Romans 5, 8, it says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we are still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for your spouse. He died for your kids. He died for your friends. God is in the business of restoring. And so what do we do? In Galatians 6, 9, it says, let us not grow weary, become discouraged. For at the proper time, we will reap if we don't give up. And so this morning, I just want to declare over you and in you that you are filled with faith, faith in a faithful God. So you can rest in him and trust that God is in control. And in the midst of the crisis, in the midst of the problem that you're facing, God has the answer. And so Psalms 23 becomes real to us when it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And I love some versions that says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. Sometimes we just need God to make us lie down. Why? So that he can restore our souls. And so we rest in him. And so we don't be surprised when crisis happens. Look to your neighbor one more time and say, don't be surprised. (laughs) Number two is this, we need to expand our boundaries Expand the boundaries. Look to your other neighbor that you've been ignoring and say, expand the boundaries. John chapter 3, verse 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he, what? Gave his son, an only son, that who? Whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to do what? To save the world through him. We can't save our spouse. We can't save our kids. God is in the business of saving them. And so we have to lean into him. And the best way I can illustrate this, how to expand the boundaries is, uh, how many of you guys remember uh, going through driving school or learning how to drive, getting your learner permit? Yeah, I mean, it's been so long for me. It's hard to remember that long ago. Is there any students in the house that you just got your learner permit? I know they they do it kind of different now. But uh, when I was growing up, I had three people that tried to teach me how to drive. My dad, my mom, and my grandma. And uh, my dad, for whatever reason, my dad was intense. Probably because, you know, you guys, if you've met me, you know I'm intense, and that's where I get it from. But my dad was intense, and I remember the time that he took me to try to teach me how to drive. And uh, we started really early, and my dad was, he was intense. He was serious about things, and so... We went to a parking lot, and he laid out the cones and uh, put them in, you know, the thing that they needed to go. And, of course, you guys know when you learn how to drive, you got to learn how to go in and out of the cones, and you got to learn how to parallel park and do all those kind of things, right? And uh, some of you guys need a little extra help because I got these cones from the parking lot, and uh, some of y'all been running over the cones, We'll have to work on that. But uh, my dad was so intense. And when we went out to, to drive, like he set these boundaries in place and he started to teach me, but he was teaching me by yelling. And so it got intense in the car. And I started yelling back at him and cones were getting ran over. And I swear the station wagon that we were in, there was no way they were fitting in between the cones. Like my dad had purposely put the cones like closer than they should have been. The the boundaries were just too close. The the car wouldn't fit. And so I kept running. We got into this huge fight. I ended up getting out of the car and just walking home. Like I was done. I was like, I'm not driving. I'm just not going to get my license. It was a horrible experience. Well, about two months later, my grandma came to town. And my grandma was fun. My grandma was awesome. My grandma was just so much, she was just a lot of fun. And she would come to visit from Tennessee. And I lived up in Ohio at the time. And it had just snowed couple of days before, and so the ground was just covered with snow, and so I talked to my grandma into taking me out to, uh, we got the cones in the car, we went out to this parking lot, and my grandma's like, we don't need the cones. I was like, okay, and uh, for the next hour or so, my grandma taught me how to do donuts, and uh, if you don't know what those are, like, you just go, and you spin in circles, and the snow, like, it was just so much fun. So we did that for, like, an hour. And uh, I totally didn't learn anything about driving or parking, but I was good at doing donuts. And then my mom took me to teach me how to drive. And I remember my mom, she took me in. You know, she got the boundaries, you know, kind of spaced out where they were supposed to be. And I realized my dad was setting me up. And... Uh, <laughs> So she spaced them out a little bit and she taught me how to drive, and she was patient with me, and she would listen to me, and I'm sure she was praying for me while I was learning uh, how to do that. And but what I've realized is, you know, as parents, boundaries are great. Like our kids need boundaries. We need boundaries in our life. We need parameters in our life, that boundaries are great, but when we have boundaries without relationship. When we have such a strong, stern, like rigid box that we try to put our kids in and they have to live in that without relationship, that oftentimes leads to legalism. And when we experience legalism, we know what the byproduct of that is. They're going to rebel, right? But then on the other side, when we have just relationship with no boundaries, that also leads to rebellion. And so one of the things that I learned, and I love what Scripture says in Colossians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14, it says, Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And then Ephesians 4, 32, it says, Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God Forgave you. We know that when the boundaries are too strict, right, that there's often rebellion. When there is no boundaries without relationship, there's rebellion. And so, what happens in the midst of crisis sometimes, in either of those situations, the enemy lobs bombs. And he'll lob bombs of guilt and shame and fear and depression and rejection and abandonment. He'll lob those bombs. In both of those places. And we find that a lot of times in relationships and uh, in our kids' lives, that those are the things that we're dealing with. But when we live in forgiveness, that forgiveness then releases grace. And grace creates space. And we expand our boundaries so that when we're in the midst of crisis, We can come into that place in relationship, and we can say to them in that that place, I see you. I hear you. I forgive you. I love you. I may not agree with you, but I'm here for you. And I'm going to walk with you through this. I'm going to be there with you and for you. We're going to come together as a family, and we're going to figure this out that grace embraces the mess. And when we're in this place of grace, I love this place, and it's a hard place sometimes to get, but when we're in this place, the mess doesn't intimidate us, it doesn't turn us off. What happens is, is in the midst of this mess, we love them even more. And it's the same thing that God did for you and I. He embraces our mess. And releases grace into our lives. And so, as a parent, I just want to encourage you that we would not just be surprised, but we would also take the time to expand the boundaries so that we can walk in relationship. And what i found at during in this space is in this space that when we expand it and we stay away from legalism and we stay away from having no boundaries, but we have boundaries and we have appropriate things and there's place For the mess to be embraced. It's in this place that we can help the people in our lives experience and know who they are and where they fit and how they can make a difference. And the great thing about this place too is that we offer them a stretching faith instead of a very static one. And so we In that relationship, God begins to do something and moves in us and uses us in a mighty way. And that leads me to my third point is this. We need to be prophetic. We need to be prophetic. Nehemiah chapter 4, verse 23 says, During this time, none of us, not I, nor my relatives, nor my servants, nor the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. It says, We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. We carried our weapons with us at all times. Probably the greatest contributor and the greatest weapon at our disposal in all of our relationships is our words. Our words. Our words have power. Our words have power that in the midst of crisis, we can take that crisis and it can be a turning point for what God wants to do. Our words create the atmosphere in our homes. And they also help to determine the health of the people living in that atmosphere. Proverbs 18 21 says, The tongue has the power of life and death, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5 through 9. This is kind of one of the famous passages of scripture uh, for parents. It says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts, impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the doorframes of your houses and on your gates. I believe this. God has positioned parents in a very, man, a place of power and influence. And our words can help shape the direction, the future, and anything that's moving forward in a positive way. And the reality is, we have a tremendous amount of time and power and influence as parents. I don't know if you know this or not, but parents actually have over 3,000 hours a year. In a given year, they have 3,000 hours that they've been given that, not, that aren't necessarily uh, strategically planned out, that they have accounted for, but there's 3,000 hours represented right here that in a year, parents have that much influence and that much opportunity to make a difference in their, in their child's life and in the people that they're walking with in relation, you have an amazing amount of power to speak life in the direction. Whereas as a youth pastor, and I was a youth pastor for 20 years, I had about 40 hours a year. I had 40 hours to make a difference. Our student pastors in the back, our children's pastors in the back. They have 40 hours a year where they get to pour into and invest and try to speak life and teach them scripture and different things like that. But we as parents, nobody can replace us. We have the most the, the prominent place in our life and we are still parents, are still no matter if you have grown children or young children, Or you're in a relationship thinking about it, like you have the power to really be an influence in those lives. Now, what's great is, is when we can partner with the church and we can partner with other people. Because we believe this, that two combined influences are way better than two single ones. And so we try our best to encourage parents strategically to be more present at home and to be connected in a faith community. Why? Because we need to leverage our family times. And we need to leverage the opportunity that we have to have critical conversations, especially in the midst of crisis. And so how do we do that? 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 says this, but the one, that's you and me, the parent who prophesies, who speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging, and comfort? That we have this amazing opportunity to prophetically speak into the lives of people in our life. One of the momisms you probably have heard before is uh, build up or hush up. You guys have heard that? If you can't say something nice, don't say it at all. Like those are like momism one and two. But it's so true, like we have an opportunity to really build up those people that are in our lives. And as a family, as we come together, and we're not surprised by the mess, and we expand the boundaries and allow grace to embrace us in that place, that we have an opportunity at that moment. That's the difference between it becoming a negative or a positive thing. We have in that moment of crisis the ability to prophetically speak words of life. And direction into that. So we come together and together we do that. And one of the things that I've learned as a parent and as a youth pastor. That it's an awesome privilege to talk to God about our kids. Before we ever talk to our kids about God. Like we have a heavenly father who hears us and meets us in the midst of our crisis. I had a student several years ago who uh, decided he wanted to change his high school, and uh, this school was, was pretty messed up, and I think there was like over 500 incidences the year before, fights and different things that broke out at the school, and I remember him showing up one night at my house, and he had taken 3,000 scriptures and cut them into little pieces of paper, and we decided at like 2 o'clock in the morning with uh, black clothes on to go to the school, And we were going to poke holes in the ground all around that school and put those scriptures in the ground and the the things that we wanted to see God do. I don't think you're allowed to do that. That's why we were wearing black. Um, But uh, so we did that. And um, we were just praying and believing and speaking over that school. Well, in the next year and a half, they went from 500 incidences down to 50. The principal one morning as we were praying around the flagpole, he came out. And this student who had been praying for the school, he led that principal to Christ, which then in turn led 33 teachers to Christ that then in turn led over 300 students to Jesus Christ. And so when you're in the midst of crisis and you don't know what to say or you don't know what to speak, I know in the midst of crisis that I found myself in as a parent, I remembered that story in that time that God moved and how great and glorious God is and how faithful he is. And in the midst of those times of crisis in our home, I remember my wife, she would go into the room and, of course, pray over the room. while the kids weren't there, and, and uh, we would pray over the bed and pray over clothes and do all those kind of things. I would anoint the, the door frame, and there were times I would print out scripture, and I would go in, and I'd place it underneath the mattress, Just believing and praying and speaking and prophesying for God to move. And I just want you to know and just declare that you have the power. And you still are the number one influencer in your child's life. And God wants to use you. Don't give up. So what's the bottom line? Let's do our best to be the kind of spouse, parents, and children that God wants us to be. But never take our eyes off of the one who holds our family's future. If things are going well in your home right now, don't be fooled into thinking that somehow you made it that way. <laughs> give God the thanks he deserves and earnestly pray for his continuing mercy in the future. But if things aren't going well in your home right now, don't give up on the hope of redemption. God delights in showing his amazing saving power through people who have nothing left. So whatever the conditions of your home, your family are, could I just implore you to turn to the one who holds the future in his hands and ask him to honor himself through your home. And I realize this too, that there are no steps to follow. I wish there were. That would guarantee healing and restoration. But your Heavenly Father can and does heal families. He can turn mourning into dancing, He can create praise out of despair. He can bind the wounds of the brokenhearted. And those who have been imprisoned, those who have been held captive by the enemy, He can set them free. God can restore families, and God can use the tragedies. He can use the crisis in our life that so deeply hurts us to move us forward to the purposes for which he has called us to. So call out to him. He's there. Pray for his mercy. Pray for your home. And then trust in his love for you And don't ever give up. Our father truly did send his son to die and to rise again to forgive our sins and to heal our homes. He is our hope. He is our hope. In all the brokenness, he is our hope. And his name is Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's message from Meadowbrook Church. We hope you'll stay connected by following us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at NBC Ocala.